My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we used in class. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us this morning. If you got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Uh, I would strongly encourage you to head over to OurSundaySchool.com and grab a copy of our handout this morning. You can grab a handout, and uh, I would encourage you to also have a copy of Mark's Gospel in front of you. I believe we'll be there the entire time this morning. So uh, welcome to those of you that have joined with us live this morning on the Facebook live stream. So we've got several folks, so the Barbers and their cousins. Ha uh, good morning, uh, Cousin Barbers. Uh, the Arnolds, the Velosins, uh, Barry Cole uh, Espanol, uh, Mitch Johnsons, we've got Miss Hopper. Hey, Miss Hopper, good to have you this morning. And the Jonikas, hey guys. Well, it's good to have you guys. So I'm glad you're here. And uh, we will uh, pick up, uh, Lord willing, where we left off last week in this next to last section of Mark chapter 10. So if you got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 10. Uh, and the handout at the, at the top there where it says, are there any literary or structural observations? Uh, the comment is Jesus takes a question and turns it into a gospel conversation. And this is just quite frankly what he is the master at, right? Uh, just an unbelievable ability to take virtually any question and uh, point it back to uh, the gospel and himself and his role in that. Uh, so good morning to the senior barbers in freezing Michigan. Uh, I don't I don't know if that's a positive comment or like if it's just actually too cold for Michiganders or not. I'm, I don't know. The, the wind chill map was horrible and I am grateful to be in Tennessee. Uh, but this morning's map made it made, made me want to be more in uh, Florida than in Tennessee. So but uh, good morning to the barbers all around. Uh, but if you got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 10. We'll read all the way through Mark chapter 10. Uh, and uh, we'll be thinking about the question, what is God doing in us uh, through his word from the portion of Mark that we have studied so far? So what's he doing in us? And uh, let's take a look at Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> Mark 10. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. 
Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise." And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, 
Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Mark chapter 10. So good morning to some more folks that have joined us. So I see uh, Jessica Miller from Oak Ridge this morning. We've got folks scattered out all over the place. That's fantastic. Uh, the Greggs, my friends in North Carolina, are here this morning. Thanks, guys. Uh, the Ayers are here and the Landers. Wonderful. So it's great to have you guys. Uh, and uh, it's, it's wonderful to be in this part of Mark chapter 10. Uh, I, I don't think I say this for every chapter of Mark, but I have really enjoyed Mark chapter 10, looking at all the different ways that people come to Jesus and how they are either encouraged or discouraged as they interact with him, uh, as they access him, uh, and as they uh, engage with him in all of their different questions and quandaries of life that they're in. So uh, we'll pick up this morning. We'll start back in verse 41, but just a quick review of where we were last week. So uh, James and John uh, are coming to Jesus, and this is immediately on the... He, good morning, Albert, from North Chattanooga. Excellent. Uh, this is immediately on the heels of Jesus telling them, for the disciples, for the third time about what's going to happen when they get to Jerusalem, right? So they've turned their face toward Jerusalem. We're headed toward Jerusalem. We're, we're going to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, where the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is going to be killed and rise again. And immediately on the heels of that conversation, James and John come to him and uh, ask him this really hideous question, right? And in verse 35, in James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee, you remember earlier in Mark's gospel, the, the sons of thunder, uh, Boanerges uh, came up to him and said, present active participle, this is a repeated question they asked him to him, teacher, we want, and this is, this is one of the, the key words in this chapter, this word for othello, uh, this word wish or to want. Uh, and I asked you the question last week, what, you know, what would you ask Jesus for? If you got the opportunity to ask Jesus a, a question directly, what would you ask him for? And I, I hope you heard the fallacy of that question because we do get the opportunity to ask Jesus questions directly. So maybe the, the better question is, what do we ask Jesus for? And it's interesting to see the different characters in Mark chapter 10 engage Jesus with different questions on what they really want. Sean, that was for you. So teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And we looked at how this word ask had been used in several different parts of Mark's gospel. And we see that Jesus actually shows us how to ask with what he asks for. So we want, that, want you to do whatever we ask for you, uh, of you. And he said to them, uh, what do you want me to do for you? So again, like, what, what do you want me to do? And uh, they said to him, grant, and I made a big deal about this word grant last week. This is an imperative. They were telling Jesus what to do. Uh, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. So they, they saw that something big was coming, that Jesus was going to be in a position of power, and they wanted a, 
um, to put it in probably the American vernacular today, a power sharing agreement where they had some visibility uh, and they were significant. And if you think about this, they're two of 12, James and John are two of 12. So if they're saying we want to sit on your right and one at your left, that means the other 10 don't get to sit at your right and your left. That means we are more important than the other 10. That means we are elevated and they are lower. And this, this up and down language is something we're going to see in this passage uh, a little bit more as we get into this week's part of the text. So verse 38, Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that, uh, that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? You remember we saw that this, this drinking of the cup was this uh, portion of God's will that uh, Jesus had to play. Uh, and he had a, both an active portion in the drinking and a passive portion in the baptism. So the drinking symbolizes this, um, this active receiving. <clears throat> Excuse me. The baptism is something that is done to you. So he obediently was actively obedient and he obediently was passively obedient. So he actively did what the Father said and he, he passively received what the Father gave. Uh, which is this beautifully holistic view of Jesus and his obedience to the Father, which also, I would argue, is a indication. And I don't think I got to this last week, but the, there is an authority uh, hierarchy inside the Trinity. So the Father plans, the Son is sent by the Father, the Spirit is sent by the Son. So there is a, uh, not necessarily a power hierarchy, but an, an authority hierarchy within the Trinity. Uh, each has a role to play, a, a unified roles that they come together and uh, perform, but there is an authority structure within the Trinity. So just be uh, just a heads up on that. So uh, he, he goes on, has more conversations with them, and he says toward the end of verse 40, this, this thing that you asked for is not mine to grant. So you've You've told me to do something, and I'm telling you back, that is not within my authoritative structure to give. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. And we looked at this word prepared and showed how Jesus was the one uh, that, that John prepared the way, uh, that Isaiah prepared the way for John, uh, that Jesus walks in the way. We'll see some of this way language this morning as well. And then we saw how this word prepared is used elsewhere in Mark's gospel of the prepared Passover lamb. So we see this preparation of Jesus. We see this preparation of the, the meal for the Passover. And Mark is very clearly trying to get us to see that Jesus is the prepared Passover lamb. Uh, he is the fulfillment of all things Old Testament. And it is just a really really beautiful word picture that Mark puts on display for us. So which brings us to verse 41, our text for today. And it says, and when the 10 heard it, right? So Jesus has this habit of being a bit more public with the group of 10 when somebody needs to be reprimanded because uh, it's a learning lesson for all. So it's the cohesiveness of the group or the lack of cohesiveness of the group. So when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant. Right? So this is the word that was used of Jesus back early in Mark chapter 10, verse 14, where, uh, where Mark tells us that Jesus was indignant at the disciples for restricting access to him from these children. So we see 
we see that there are righteous ways to be indignant. And if you look at what Jesus became angry and indignant about in the Gospels, it was primarily restricting access to God. So if you, the, you know, the kind of the classic example of this is the Jesus overturns the tables of the money changers uh, outside the temple. And, you know, he goes and he makes a whip and he goes and he does this activity. And what they were, what these uh, money changers are basically doing is uh, charging exorbitant fees to access uh, appropriate sacrifices so that you could have access to God. And Jesus is blowing this whole model up, saying, no, no, you don't, you don't get to restrict access to God. And what's he upset at the disciples here for? Restricting access to God. These are very consistent behaviors that Jesus performs. So there's one more indignant in Mark's gospel in Mark 14, 4. We'll look over there for just a second. Mark 14, 4. And this is the... Uh, the, uh, the woman with an alabaster flask uh, of ointment is verse 3 of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, right? So again, we see, the, we see the contrast here between what Jesus gets indignant about and what others get indignant about, right? So it's this financial indignant. Uh, view of things. So back to verse 41, Mark chapter 10. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John, not at Jesus, right? Which is good, but at James and John because they had asked for this unreasonable thing. So verse 42, and Jesus called them to him. Interesting, these are the same, this same word called is what he used to, to call them to himself the first time in Mark chapter 3. He called them to him and said to them, you know, now, this no is in the perfect tense. This means that something has happened in the past and the actions or the results are continuing into the present. So this is something you've learned before that you still understand today. So you know that those who are considered uh, or thought of or seem to be uh, rulers of the Gentiles or the first. So again, we have this position type language, right? So there, if you think you're those that are in the first place of the Gentiles... They lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority. Now, there's some really interesting things going on with the words here. So let's take a look at these words. They lord it over them. So I'm at the top of page 345 on your handout, and this word is uh, catacurio. And I, I, want you to, I want you to look at this word on your handout, catacurio. This is uh, Strong's 2634, K-A-T-A. -A. Uh, so I'll pull up our preposition circle here for just a second. And uh, kata is at the very bottom. And it means uh, it means uh, to, to push down. Uh, it's the idea of being over someone and uh, being over something and, and movement downward. So this is like a pushing down. Uh, it's down there at the very bottom, kata, down. And uh, kuria, uh, K-U-R-I-E-U-O is very similar to the Greek word kurios, which means it's the noun for Lord. So this is a verb. This is the verb form of this. Uh, so this is a, uh, a word that means to be in a lordship type position where you are pushing down on someone. 
And if you're pushing down on someone, that means you're in a position over them. So again, we see this up-down language that Jesus is, is working through, even in the construction of the actual Greek word itself, which I think is uh, quite impressive. So uh, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones, their big personalities, if you will, um, exercise authority over. Now this is kata exousiazo. Uh, this is uh, same Greek preposition, kata. This is uh, kind of this pushing downward word. And then uh, exousiazo, this idea of uh, power and privilege and authority. So this is, not only are they taking their, their ruler, their mastership, their lordship, and pushing it down on others, they're taking all their authority and their power, and they, they push and they control on others. And this is fundamentally one of the ways that you see what a wolf in sheep's clothing looks like. What do you do with power? What do you do with authority? What do you do with any type of administrative rule that you have? Do you, do we, do I lord it over people and, and oppress and push down, right? And create structures where that people at the top can't be challenged. They can't be pushed back against. They're untouchable. We don't have to go very far in our news to see examples of this, right? So their great ones exercise authority over them. And then verse 43 starts with, but, so we're, we're transitioning now. It shall not be so among you. The, the word for to be so is hatu. Uh, it's in this way or in this manner. Jesus is basically saying, this is not the way you, among you, in you, uh, inside your relational dynamics. That's not the way this should be working. So it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be. Now, in English, it's, it's not translated as wish, but in Greek, it's the same 2309 uh, thelo. It's this idea to choose or prefer. So it's the same word that shows up over and over and over in Mark chapter 10 when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you wish for? What are you asking for? You got me here. What are you going to ask? So he says, but whoever would or wishes to be great among you must be your servant. So whoever chooses, so if, if we as disciples of Jesus Christ choose to be great, the path to greatness runs through service. Like this is just a super simple uh, philosophy in Jesus's kingdom is that to be great, one must serve. And servants, if you haven't noticed organizational charts lately, are not at the top of the organizational chart. Except in Jesus' kingdom. Because he flips it all on its head. It's beautiful, right? Because he comes in Mark chapter 10 and he tells them it's not about being rich. That's not how you get access to God. And here he tells them it's not about being great. It's not about lording over. It's not about ruling. That's not how you get access to God. It's not how you lead in God's kingdom. So a couple of the words here. Uh, whoever would be or wishes to be great among you must be. This is a future indicative, right? So this is this is a fact, a statement of fact in the future. It must be your servant. The servant word is diakonos. Uh, it's where we get our English word deacon. Uh, so this is uh, basically the equivalent of someone who comes around and waits on you at a table and does what you need. Uh, and and I, I've... 
I've loved the as the longer I've served as a deacon, the longer I've studied and examined this concept, especially how it, what it looked like in the first century uh, uh, Judaism, is this idea of uh, service through whatever opportunity popped up. This is this is not the mindset of I have to give you fourteen reminders, and I have to nag you, and I have to guilt trip you, and I have to you know, whatever, fill in the blank. The, I mean, good waiters and waitresses, if you if you have had a really exceptional uh, meal somewhere, very likely part of it was due to the wait staff that really just took care of things, right? And and really exceptional wait staffs don't even have to be asked. They just know because they're looking. They're, they're examining, they're paying attention, their eyes are open for opportunities in front of them and ways to serve. And Jesus is saying here, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, then uh, it must be your servant. And then verse 44, and, and you know, I, I would argue this is not a new message for Jesus. Back in chapter 9, this was the exact same thing that he, he taught in verse 35. And then verse 44, he says, uh, but whoever would be first among you, so this, again, this language of ups and downs, firsts and lasts, uh, whoever will be first among you must be, uh, and this is an I may, uh, this is the I am to exist, and this is a future middle indicative. And the, the middle uh, is a little bit different, and it's not something that we, uh, that we run across too terribly often, uh, but the middle is when the subject acts in his own or her own interest uh, or performs an action for himself or herself for his own benefit. Uh, so this this idea that you must be a slave, and this is in the own interests of the person doing the acting. Uh, so it's in our interest to be a slave, which I think is really interesting way to communicate this from Jesus' perspective. So uh, would be first among you must be slave of all. You're like, whoa, 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 that seems like a lot. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Must be slave of all. Uh, and then we come to kind of the Jesus is going to bring it home in verse 45. For, this is our a Greek word gar, this is for assigning a reason. So this is the, like we're, we're boiling it down here. Here's the because. Because even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And he says, oh, okay. So his disciples are starting to realize now that, that Jesus is the example here of service. This is like Jesus's life is what service looks like. Now we talk a lot about Jesus and his love. We talk about a lot about Jesus and his lordship. We talk a lot about Jesus and his uh, authority, his miracle working, his uh, salvific uh, efforts, he, that he is the lamb of God. We, we don't necessarily talk as much about Jesus and his service. And if you read through the Gospels, you'll notice all these opportunities where Jesus stops and he serves and he stops and he serves and he stops and he serves. And it's this beautiful demonstration of him actually practicing what he preaches. So verse 45, for even the son, the man came not to be served. This is the verb form of deacon. Came not, you could almost translate it, came not to be deaconed, uh, but to deacon, but to serve. Uh, and and to give. 
Now, I, I will tell you that the serve and the give are in the aorist tense here. And it's, again, not something that I'd spend a lot of time on the aorist tense. Uh, the aorist tense is the idea of the action without respect to time. So this is not a past tense. It's not a present tense. It's not a future tense. Most of the time in English, it's translated as present tense. Uh, but the idea is that I'm communicating this concept. I'm not communicating it specifically to a set period of time. And, and one of the ways that you sometimes can interpret the aorist is that it is irrespective of time. Uh, it covers both the past, the present, and the future. Uh, I would argue that it, it works here very well because the idea is not about has Jesus done this in the past or is he doing it right now or is he going to do it in the future? And I would say it's not an or, it's an and. Jesus has done it in the past. He is doing it right now and he will do it in the future. Uh, so he came not to be served but to serve. And so we're not done. Jesus is going to, he's going to go farther than because he is not just an example. He's the perfect example. He's going to go all the way with his service to give his life as a ransom for many. So he's going to go all the way and drink the entire cup of God's will for his life. He's going to go all the way and be baptized with the full baptism of God's will for his life. All the way. He's going to serve in a way that only he can serve because only he is the prepared Passover lamb. He's going to teach in a way that only he can teach because he is the Logos, the Word, from the beginning. He's going to live in a way that only he can live because he is the Messiah. So he is our example in all facets of life, not just, oh, he was a good teacher, isn't that cute? No, no. This is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is executing the Father's plan flawlessly. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And he doesn't just stop with what he commands his disciples to do. He goes all the way and gives his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is connecting his words immediately prior to John, uh, to James and John's question with their question. He's saying, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die and rise again. And they said, yeah, yeah, we want to be in power with you. And he said, uh, that's not for me to grant. And oh, by the way, that's a bad question. And oh, by the way, you don't really know what you're talking about. And oh, by the way, uh, I'm going to point you to myself as the Passover lamb. And I'm going to show you what service really looks like through my own life and my own sacrifice. And then he goes and he does it. And how can you not love this man? It's unbelievable. Absolutely flawless execution of service. And, and some that are listening to me this morning have a real passion for eyes open, head on a swivel. This is how my dad taught me to play defense. Eyes open, head on a swivel. Uh, looking for opportunities for service. And I would tell you, keep it up. That's fantastic. Because Jesus was eyes open, pun intended here for next week's lesson looking for opportunities for service. So let's take a look at some uh, applications and personalizations. This is going to be both for uh, last week's lesson and for this week's lesson. So uh, application point uh, number one, uh, Jesus' obedience was and is always, right? He, he wasn't just sometimes being obedient to the Father's will. 
is always being obedient to the Father's will. So what do we, what do, we do with that? I would say, number one, uh, obey actively and passively the Father's will. That God the Father has a will for us, and it is beautiful. It is a wonderful thing. So uh, application number one, Jesus' obedience was and is always. Uh, personalize what do we do with that. Obey actively and passively the Father's will. Uh, application number two, Jesus is the prepared Passover lamb. You're going to hear me start talking a lot more about uh, Jesus and his messianic role of sacrifice uh, as we get further into him actually sacrificing himself and closer to the Passion Week. Uh, but he is the prepared Passover lamb, application number two. Uh, so what do we do with that? I, I would say that we should know our place. Right? I am not the prepared Passover lamb. I am a flawed, deeply sinful human being who Jesus has redeemed, and I am grateful, uh, but I am not God. I am absolutely not God. I mean, this, this makes me think back to Proverbs, right? The beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Uh, fear of the Lord implies that there is a God, and I'm not Him. Uh, and this is where we start, right? So Jesus is this prepared Passover lamb, so we know our place. We know that we are not the Messiah. We are not God. Uh, number three, Jesus' indignation was righteous. Jesus' indignation was righteous. Uh, and I would say, what do we do with that? Personalization number three, check our indignation against his pattern. So are we getting indignant about something that somebody has stirred us up over? Or are we getting indignant about something that is actually an affront to God? And if, if we're getting indignant over something that somebody stirred us up over, maybe we should check that. Maybe we should... Stop and repent and believe again in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the only way, the true way. Uh, application number five, uh, I struggled writing this one, and I'm still, it's not, it's not there yet. But uh, application number five, wishes matter. Uh, wishes matter. So what we wish for matters. Uh, so what do we do with that? I would say wish biblically, want biblically, uh, submit our will and our desire to the Father's will so that it matches His. And uh, this comes through repentance and faith, right? <laughs> this, is, this is not a, a complicated concept. Uh, God the Father has a will for each one of us. He has a will for us together, collectively. And uh, I would say that when we submit to his will, we are uh, better off and better servants and better participants in his kingdom. And remember, it's his kingdom. It's his universe. He gets to write the rules. So that's the way this works. Uh, and then application number six, Jesus is our servant model. Uh, Jesus is our servant model. So what do we do with that? Personalization number six, follow him and only him. Follow hard after him. Take his yoke and rest in his abiding love. So uh, that's our lesson for this morning. Uh, thank you so much for being with us this morning. If you're listening to this later, I would encourage you to head over to OurSundaySchool.com. You can uh, see this lesson on YouTube. Uh, we also have all of our lessons there. You can subscribe to our weekly podcast, our email, and our YouTube channel. You can do all that stuff at OurSundaySchool.com. 
and as we move into our time of prayer, uh, I would just ask you guys to take a moment and write in the comments any prayer requests that you might have. Uh, I would ask that you pray for someone that's not with you. Um, and I would ask that you engage in worship today, uh, worship of this uh, one whose obedience never wavers, worship this one who is the prepared Passover lamb, worship this one whose indignation was always uh, righteous, worship this one whose life was a life of service, worship this one who helps us wish and want for things that submit to the Father's will, and worship this one who is worthy of being followed because there is no one like our Jesus. I hope you know him. So love you guys, miss you guys, uh, praying for you every single day. Uh, would love to pray specifically, so keep those prayer requests coming. And uh, until I see you again, grace and peace to you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, our YouTube channel, and our weekly email. You can do all of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.